If you would, uh, to begin our study, the attributes of God, um, we'll launch this morning from Jeremiah 9. Just a couple verses to look at. Jeremiah 9. I'll open in prayer and then we'll, we'll begin. Lord God, thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day morning. And again, for your abundant grace. given to us in Christ Jesus, the salvation of our souls. We praise you for your grace. Grant us ability now to, to grasp something of your glorious attributes as we begin our study this day. In Christ's name, amen. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. If you jump over to chapter 10 and verse 6, we read, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name in might. Uh, this is the first of our series of studies in the attributes of God. Um, today will um, serve as an introduction. Um, an attribute um, refers to the qualities um, of an individual, that which we um, attribute to another, you know, particular features or characteristics of a person, something that uniquely describes the individual. And here, regarding the attributes of God, um, we're referencing something of his nature, his character, his, his being, I mean, the, the qualities of God. And when we look at attributes regarding the Lord, um, it has to do with his divine essence or, or the perfections of his, his character. So for us to know God, we must know what God is like. And his attributes define that, define for us um, who God is. If you look at Romans 11, verse 33, very familiar verse. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Now, we're going to look at these attributes one at a time, and we have to keep in mind that as we look into them, we must view each one of them in perfect harmony with all the others. All the other glorious attributes of God are perfectly harmonized in the person of Almighty God, which is really trying to fathom the um, unfathomable. It's a matter of trying to comprehend um, the incomprehensible. But keep this in mind also, when, when, when we think of the word incomprehensible with regard to God, that does not mean we have no way of knowing anything about him. 
God has condescended to reveal himself um, um, to us. It simply means, incomprehensibility that is, uh, it means that uh, we cannot comprehend Almighty God in an exhaustive sense. He, he is infinite. And we forever, even in glory, remain what? Finite. We are finite. So God always transcends um, the best descriptions um, that we have um, of him um, so as to understand him. Now, when we study doctrine, when we study um, attributes, we're studying concepts. I mean, doctrines are concepts. Concepts are symbols, and we use concepts or symbols by way of, of words. Words are, are symbols. And, for instance, God is light, but light is not God. God is a consuming fire, but a consuming fire is not God. These describe our Lord um, in, in, in ways that are still yet incomprehensible. So whatever image we have um, in our mind with regard to God will never, in all eternity, fully comprehend our infinite Lord. I want you to look at a quote from Willemus of Brockle, a 17th century Puritan pastor and theologian. I'm going to have to read it from the screen. I forgot to bring it with me. It is a wondrous reality as well as a manifestation of divine goodness that man, in using sounds which are expressive of that which is tangible, is able to give an explanation about divine and spiritual matters by means of the vehicle of language. Our mind, being finite and having limited capacity, must function in the realm of concepts and ideas before comprehension can occur. It is the goodness of God that he adjusts himself to our limited ability to comprehend. Since a harmonious concept of God, which would include all that could be said and thought about him, is beyond our comprehension, it pleases God by means of various concepts and ideas to make himself known to man. These concepts we describe and designate from a human perspective is God's essential attributes. If you can ever afford it, Christian's Reasonable Service, Volume 4, four volume set from Willemus of Brockle will um, serve um, you well, in case you're interested. So studying the attributes of God um, ultimately is not merely to know about God, but is indeed to know him. It is the finite knowing the infinite. Finite creatures knowing our infinite um, creator. So uh, as we study all the statements about God, again, they are not God. They are simply descriptions of our Lord, um, the depth of which um, cannot be plumbed, the breadth of which cannot possibly be grasped. But nevertheless, um, this is our duty. It's to study um, our Lord because he's condescended to reveal himself to us. There's a famous quote um, from A.W. Tozer in, in his Knowledge of the Holy, a study on the attributes of God, another highly recommended book. 
It's, he said this in the opening chapter of that book. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I mean, it colors and affects our worldview. How we think about God. How we see um, everything in life. And left to ourselves, um, we immediately tend to reduce God to very manageable terms. Is that fair enough to say? For some, as Sam Storm says, um, theological ignorance to them, that is many, is heavenly bliss. And I have met far too many um, of those folks. Storms goes on to say, in the absence of biblical information concerning who God is and what he is like, we may well find ourselves worshiping foreign gods, if not a God fabricated of our own self-absorbed imaginations. End of quote. Described in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 8, as those who are altogether stupid and foolish in their discipline of delusion. Their idol is wood. Or in our day, their idol is the fabrication of imagination. Another quote, Stephen J. Lawson. Quote, our knowledge of God is the continental divide in the Christian life. One drop of water on that continental divide goes down rivers and empties into an ocean of man-centered thinking. On the other side of that continental divide falls raindrops of God-centered thinking that flows down tributaries and into rivers and ultimately end up in an ocean of God-centered worship. God-centered living and God-centered ministry and evangelism. End of quote. Now, if you go into the um, average um, evangelical church in our day, um, you will quickly discover that there is an amazing absence of the majesty of God. And one of the reasons for that void is the neglect of studying the attributes of God. And the remedy is to teach the whole counsel of God because when you teach the whole counsel of God, you see face to face the attributes of God. Seeing specific characteristics of infinite God on the pages of his word. And it is that way then that we, we gain a, a, a coherent understanding of who he is, and we're not left to our own vain imaginations. So therefore, a study like this is so important because no congregation can ever rise above their idea of God. No congregation, no individual ever rises above their idea of who, who God is. That's why we stay rooted in the word of God here, whether people like it or not. Because it is our call. This is, this is our duty. Theology determines doxology. Amen? Your understanding of God determines how you worship God. And again, it ought to be God-centered. 
worship. Misinterpretations of God rob him of his glory and, and stunt, it stunts our growth. So the more accurate understanding we have with regard to what Scripture says about God, he's described himself, he, he describes himself through the living Scriptures, we will be able to, to grasp um, experientially um, with our minds and hearts um, a deeper knowledge of our Creator, Redeemer, and, and the Sustainer of life. Now, there is a distinction to be made um, in, in theology with regard to the attributes of God And that distinction is between the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. Something communicable is something that is shared. You know, um, when you shake someone's hand in the cold and flu season, they they might share with you (laughs) germs and, and you become ill. It's communicable diseases and so on. Something shared. So, regarding the characteristics of God, um, communicable attributes are attributes that God possesses and and shares to some degree um, with those made in his image. We we possess them, albeit in a finite, um, limited degree, such as benevolence, justice, mercy, patience communicable attributes that are shared with God's creatures. So as believers, okay, as believers, those in Christ Jesus, we are partakers of the divine nature by way of regeneration, we read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And therefore, being by way of regeneration, partakers of the divine nature, God says to his people, be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. We read that in 1 Peter 1 verse 16. But nevertheless, those shared attributes, once again, cannot exist in an infinite degree. They never will. And that is the reason Jesus said to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 17, that there is none good but one. In other words, there's only one who's infinitely good. And it is God. So we're not going to spend a lot of time uh, with a focus on communicable attributes um, with regard to to God's people. So if we're going to look at an attribute known as justice, we're going to focus on on God and not his creatures. So that's communicable. The incommunicable attributes um, are those that belong exclusively to God. Um, One being that God is self-existent. His self-existence or his aseity. He's infinite. He's eternal. He alone is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. He's all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. Incommunicable attributes. He alone is sovereign. He's thrice holy. Holy through and through. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God 
Almighty. Amen. So, that being said, there's no way um, for us to study um, the attributes um, as they are in and of themselves in, in complete harmony and perfect unity um, with each other. It's impossible to do that, right? It, absolutely impossible. Therefore, we're, we're forced to ferret them out one by one, and that's what we're going to do. I, how many weeks? I have no idea. I suppose we could go on for eternity studying the infinite Lord, but, but we will not do that. We'll, we'll run into at least the summer break, and I'll have my brother Matthew up here too. He'll be assigned particular attributes. Like he'll, he'll focus on God is love, and I'll focus on God is just. How about that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't resist. We, we, so keep, keep this in mind. And again, this is just an introduction. Um, as finite fallen creatures... When we study God or we study the attributes of God, we have a tendency to exalt one attribute over another. Speaking of love and justice and all that, we extol some and we even altogether neglect others. Fair enough to say? And when we do that, we end up with a lopsided misrepresentation of the divine being, Almighty God. Now, we're, a, we're very adept to this in the 21st century. If, if you were to evaluate the contemporary Christians today, what do you suppose is the one attribute that is elevated above all others? <laughs> Absolutely. God is love. And most certainly, beloved, we never want to minimize the fact that God is love, amen? I love the fact that God is love when every time I look into the mirror, amen? That God is love, that he would condescend to love me. God is love. But if we elevate that one attribute about God, the fact that he is love, and that we, we actually think we understand what that means, we neglect other things like justice, holiness. And then by neglecting these other attributes, what we do is actually distort that one aspect that we're trying to extol, that being God is love. We pervert it. So one, one consequence of this error in our day is that God's justice, holiness, and sovereignty have been forced to bow down before the attribute of the love of God. It's a great mistake. As though God's love somehow triumphs over his sovereignty and his justice. You'll never understand the, the love of God if you do that if you make that mistake. So God's love ne neither conquers nor is crushed by his other attributes. Holiness, justice, wrath, sovereignty, 
and, and so on. This is where we make our mistake regarding the love of God. We, we mistakenly think that God's love is making much about me. The man or woman in the mirror. Because when someone loves me, that's what they do. Amen? My wife makes much of me. That's how I know she loves me. She makes much of me. But that is our culture. This is how our culture thinks. That someone, when they make much of me, when they fawn over me, they love me. Interpreted by us as God's lo God loves me so much that if he carried a wallet, my picture would be in it. <laughs> now, I have to tell you something funny. A friend of mine told me he was looking at Facebook, and, and he was looking at a conversation some of his Christian friends were having who attend another church, but it's the same church, and they thought that it was one of the deepest, that is one of the most theologically deep statements they ever heard their pastor say. And that it was that. God loves you so much that if he had a wallet, if he carried one, your photo would be in it. That's how we think about the love of God. So the result is that the, the popular attribute of the love of God becomes very distorted rather than allowing the other attributes of God to inform us of the significance of that love. Does that make sense? Such as the fact, again, that God is holy, a less popular attribute of God, that God is just, and that God is a God of wrath, a much less popular attribute of God. You know, God is love, so he must be enamored with me. Is, is how we, we think. But the truth is, I'm stu stu studying and understanding that the attribute of God's love is not so much a matter of him making much of me, but rather, because he loves me, he leads me, he leads you, he empowers us to make much of him. That's how much he loves you. Because being fixated with his glory, his intrinsic glory, the glory he has in and of himself, there's nothing you can do to detract or add to it, his intrinsic glory, and the glory that is due him by way of our, our lives, our thinking, our words, and so on, um, it becomes reciprocal, that love, where we make much um, of him. Love that is filled with glory, wisdom, power, and the grace of God. So God's attributes um, are never to be viewed um, in being in tension with, with one another. They're perfectly harmonized in, in Almighty God, our infinite creator and redeemer. So we're never 
therefore in danger of seeing God as being um, too holy or too sovereign, too merciful, or too loving. Amen. We're never in danger of seeing him as too much of anything because he is all those things together at, at, at once for eternity. That's why preaching the whole counsel of God again is so important. Because as we study the whole counsel of God, we see these particular aspects of God on display from Genesis to and through Revelation. So as we look at these one at a time in the coming weeks, we see him in perfect harmony with all his, that is, his attributes. They're in glorious harmony um, with one another. Um, they're, they're never in competition of one another. God is very, very complex, yet he is knowable. Amen? He is knowable. He wants us to know him. He has revealed himself, um, though he is um, incomprehensible. So when God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, there's an understatement, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, says the Lord, Isaiah 55. In other words, God's ways are past, I'm finding out. There is an element of God that is mysterious. Amen? Remember, we all know Deuteronomy 29, 29, when God spoke to the children of Israel, he said, the secret things belong to the Lord. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children's children. They belong to us. His redeemed people. Divine revelation, in other words, is ours to embrace. Divine revelation, the word of God, the Bible, the living scriptures, the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself to us that we may know him. Nevertheless, in no way will we ever completely, absolutely, comprehensively know him. Marvelous thing, isn't it? An amazing truth. Eternal, holy God. Even in the eternal state, okay, when, when, when you're in heaven, okay, you will always be finite. Immortal, yes, immortal, and not subject to death, Nevertheless, finite. Okay? We're, we're, we remain finite. He is infinite. Only God is infinite and therefore incomprehensible, which is to say, for all of eternity, we will be learning. Therefore, for all of eternity, we will be rejoicing. Forever and ever learning of God who's infinite, incomprehensible. 
that, that'll keep you up. If you go to bed meditating on that, that'll keep you awake. But then you're able to sleep restfully at the same time. This infinite God. E- e- eternally learning with perfected minds, mind you. Eternally learning with perfected minds in his immediate presence and still not able to comprehend all of God. And he condescended to save you. To be crushed. To bear God's wrath. To bleed. Life is in the blood. To bleed unto death. To redeem many. For his glory. See, th- th- this is why some of Paul's prayers, some of his recorded prayers, are mind-bending, um, circuit-breaking, computer-crashing prayers. Like this one. I pray for you, the church in Ephesus, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. (laughs) Who's incomprehensible who is unfathomable. So the height of God's love, speaking of God's love, is made manifest by how he descended to become the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as Isaiah prophesied. A man of sorrows, condescending, not only to bleed and to suffer the, the unparalleled agony of shame, to be deserted by his father on the cross, bearing God's wrath. That's what wrath is. He, he condescends, man of sorrows, to, to bleed, to suffer, to, to be shamed, to be, to be spat upon, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, and he's the creator in a human body. So all of those attributes of God on display in order to extol the love of God for you, his redeemed. So God's love is not, nor can it be, disconnected from his sovereignty, his holiness, his justice, and his wrath, but in perfect harmony and in complete unity of the one true God. That's how we ought to see the attribute of the love of God. It's amazing grace. So the fact that God is love, um, we, we can understand that, amen? Do you understand God is love? Yes, you do, because you're saved. You, you understand God is love. I understand God is love by what way of his grace, but we can't understand that, that love exhaustively, <clears throat> comprehensively. But it's surely good to know it's true, amen. 
And we know it's true because everything that God says by way of divine revelation, his word, is, as we'll be reminded of this morning in the sermon, sober truth. Sober truth. Sobering truth. And yet we'll never grasp in all of eternity the depth of the love of God, the kind of love that Paul prays that you'll understand and comprehend with all the, with all the saints, saints, the height, breadth, and depth of God's love. Incomprehensible. But yet, we will we'll ferret these things out in the coming weeks. Never plumbing the depths of any one attribute of God. But as we learn more about God, we grow to love God in return by way of his grace. So as we take words, as we take concepts and, and symbols, right? Concepts expressed in words. God allows us to do this. He actually commands us to do this, to describe what God is, is like. One thing is for certain, he is not like us. He is not like us. But, but far beyond what we could ever imagine or think. So again, what comes into your minds when we think, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It colors and affects our worldview. It affects how we think, how we see ourselves, and we, how we see everything. Is God's people. So, who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high? Him we will learn more of in the coming weeks. Amen? There's your introduction. Father, we do thank you that your glorious, infinite, perfect, holy, gracious, loving, giving, caring, Merciful, patient, oh so patient. Help us in the coming weeks to grasp more of your personhood. Help me to communicate those things for your glory and the good of your people. In Christ's name, amen.